think if you want to do it right, you have to take it in that order in terms of be entrepreneurial, document as you go, and then be sure to reflect, look forward and look backwards. It's ultimately going to give you the best perspective on where you should go for the next step. Welcome to A Slice of SaaS. I am your host, Andreas Kongstad, the co-founder of the B2B RevOps agency, Hubex. And twice a month, we bring you actionable insights and strategies from industry experts to help you drive revenue growth and achieve success in the SaaS landscape. In today's episode, we have an absolute expert in building, growing, and scaling partner programs for SaaS companies. So please welcome Barrett King, who is a seasoned professional with over 10 years of experience in the industry. He is a former senior manager for HubSpot Global Go-To-Market Strategy for its partner ecosystem. And he currently serves as a senior director at Leapwork, where he focuses on building and scaling its global channel network and alliances. In this episode, we will be diving into the topic of partnerships and how they can be a powerful driver of revenue growth and customer success. Our goal is to provide you with actionable insights and practical strategies that you can implement straight away. So get ready for a ton of practical tips for building and scaling your partner program. And Barrett, let's dive straight in. So Barrett, say that I'm a SaaS founder and I'm looking to start building out my own partner program. Like, What do you think is the first question I should be asking myself when, uh, when I go about with that? I like that you started there. So most folks say I want to build a program and they never actually think about how to get there. It's a pretty common scenario. A lot of folks that I talk to ask a version of that question. And I, I like to keep it super simple. You should be always listening to your customer. And so as a founder, I would hope, I would expect that naturally you would be engaging with your customers daily, weekly, monthly. I think the best founders are already doing roundtables or even like one-off conversations with those customers. Mm. And in those dialogues, in that conversation, one of the goals you should have is to be asking very specifically, who else are you working with that either uses and or delivers value alongside or with our tool and or is not directly connected to us? Because mm. your partners are not always going to be VAR, like value add, right? Sometimes mm. they're going to be technology integrations that make you stickier. Sometimes they're going to be you know, um, like services, if you will. So businesses that are doing things that may not directly intersect with your technology, but add value alongside what you're already doing in terms of your go-to-market. Mm. And so as a founder, you should be asking those questions early and often. And you should continue to ask those questions. And I always describe that as partner market fit. Mm. Early partner market fit comes from, really is derived from those conversations because that's going to help you uncover and really identify the, the value triangle where you a third party and your technology together, better together specifically, make your customer have a stronger outcome or better results, whatever it might be. So, you know, long-winded answer, but I think most specifically, it's important as a founder and an early partner hire, regardless of what your role is, even ahead of sales, frankly, ahead of CS, any of these roles where you're engaging with the customer, to be asking who are and what are those other services, tools, technologies that you're using, again, either with what we're doing and or around our, you know, our, our tool or our structure so that you're getting more value from the business. Mm. So you mentioned like a value triangle, like, so that was the, what you mentioned there with uh, like the tool, like identifying who's a good fit and who you're working with, or what would that be? Yeah, it's about that. It's also about understanding the way value moves around from organization mm -hmm. to organization. It's super easy, I think, for folks to work under the assumption that, you know, well, we're going to we're gonna engage with this partner and this partner is going to go and, and do the thing that we're asking them to do, sell our software mm -hmm. or service our customers, whatever it is. What you have to recognize is that value moves in a variety of different ways throughout this triangle. I'm drawing it in the air for those of you listening and not watching mm -hmm. me. And the triangle starts with you 
and your technology. And then it also includes the vendor, the, the um, potential partner, whether it's an integration, again, like I said, or somebody who's going to use your software to deliver to their customer, whatever it is, and then the customer themselves. And so it's really easy to work under the assumption that you know, the technology that you provide is is cyclical, it's singular, it's going to do one thing, but ultimately understanding the connection between, as I described specifically, your business and that vendor is important because the value transfer mm-hmm. is what we're trying to recognize here. That partner that you're trying to engage with owns your customer's trust. That vendor is already working with them, therefore they own more trust than you do. So your opportunity lies in saying, okay, if that's the case, how do I go and, and sort of double click on tackle the idea of that intersection of value being the most important thing to me? And that stems from this the triangle that I'm describing in terms of how do I ensure my software works well for you know that agency that I'm working with, to use an easy example, right? Mm. So that that agency can go and deliver their services consistently on our software to that customer, who's then going to use our platform to look at the value that agency is delivering and prove ROI. Now you've got a really clear example in terms of we start with something, it delivers value to that agency because they're more effective, they grow faster, their services are better, whatever the outcome is. And then the customer also intersects with the technology because they themselves are able to understand if and how that agency in this example delivers value to them as well. So it's sort of the, the culmination of like, how do we move value across those three different organizations? Mm. And how would you go about like, so so there I'm kind of hearing that being aligned with kind of the goals you're trying to do, like helping each other out and basically design the program so you know, you can actually help the partner that you're working with uh, reach their own goals as well and not just thinking about what are we trying to get out of this and just building up a program, like having a ton of partners there, but not really doing anything more with it. Uh, and I do think that I've seen that a lot, that a lot of partner programs, they're just there, but they're not really uh, kind of a, what you mentioned here with a place where you actually think about that. How can we get to a common goal together? So how would you go about like designing a program around that kind of joint value and really focusing in on like helping your partners reach their goals? Because of course, then they're going to like you more, hopefully. And and they're going to help you. you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, to use the word outcomes. I, my own show is called that. And part of why I leaned into that branding is that I believe that, that better together outcomes are the fundamental basis of every partnership, whatever it is, regardless of it. Like if you're a, I don't know, you're a local pizza shop and, you know, you want to work with, um, uh, I don't know, like an Uber driver group because they're, you know, whatever it is. Like the point is that by working with another organization, you both should benefit over the long term. You asked the question of how do you build a business model around that? How do you build a program around that? I think at its core, it needs to be about what helps the customer. And so you mm-hmm. hear a lot of leaders and certainly a lot of folks on, you know, on shows like this talk about, well, it needs to be about the customer, make it all about the customer, customer centric. And I think you know, crassly put, I want to call a little bit of bullshit on that because it's very buzzy. It's fun to say. I love saying it's all about the customer. I love helping the customer. Of course you do because it makes you sound good, but you have to ground into something more than that. I think the way that you do that is you start to look at, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, who are the organizations? What are the, the tools that are helping that customer do better and seek out ways to work with them? And if you make it about the outcome, you make it about the collective being better than the singular, then I think you start to have that as one of your core values. And if you always go back to you know, from a partner perspective, our mission, our collective goal, you make it about the we and the us and the, you know, the, the togetherness, I think it matters a lot more. Um, so for those of you listening, I was at HubSpot for eight and a quarter years or so. Obviously that's, you know, where your lovely host and I met. And I think what's important to highlight is that early HubSpot, they focused extremely maniacally almost on the idea that we help agencies grow better. 
this entire premise, the culture of the organization was about working with marketing agencies to help them grow better. And that was brilliant because what it was doing was ensuring that they were marketing for us and engaging their customers and ultimately packaging, pricing, and selling our software, which was at the time marketing tools that became a CRM, sales, et cetera, into the customer base that we were trying to attack as an organization. The company I'm at, Leapwork, right now, you know, my role here is to help augment and engage and elevate the Microsoft Dynamics partnership and the Microsoft in general partnership that we have. The reason that that works is that our customers are the same. Our customers are on D365, they're using the software and they're challenged because updating and managing the regression testing and all of the the things that come with owning a big ERP or, or CRM like that requires people, headcount and time. And the platform that, that Leapwork has built helps to automate that process. Again, the customer benefits when we work with Microsoft's partners who are already working with those customers to deliver more effective testing. So they're getting a better outcome for themselves, right? Their teams are less burdened. They can do better, more effective, long tail work. And the customer gets more value. They have more consistent testing, better outcomes in terms of software uptime. They don't have those challenges and issues. And so in either example, you put at the core of your program, the idea that by working with these partners, we need to put their ability to help our customer at the core of what we do. And if you can find, which is why I describe that partner market fit, find businesses that by doing that, they help you get to your goal, which is to sell more, service better, whatever your outcome is, that's a win, win, win scenario. Mm. And like, how would you kind of um, structure that? And like, wh- who would be like, I know at HubSpot, we had a really like a strong focus on that, as you mentioned with the partner team, like there was... Um, a lot of salespeople who were really focusing on finding and, and building up partners together. Um, it's like, how would we kind of think about like getting the whole company involved? Because if it's just one person doing a little bit of partner thing, like you're never really got to get like, mm. I think the best out of it. Like you need to have marketing, you need to have, you know, like so many different areas of the business involved in this to make it really successful. Uh, do you agree? Uh, and if so, like, how would you kind of get more people behind it? Um, because I think that's really important. I think it's uh, it's a super buzzy word. Hashtag alignment, right? We got to mm. align all these teams. But I think you know the um, actually Darmesh, the co-founder of HubSpot, the CTO, used to always say, "Align your vectors, like mm. align all of your vectors, and the company will move forward more effectively. Your your customers will be happier. You will have a stickier product, etc." I think when you build a culture and you build a program that at its core, the foundation is about helping your customer to grow better or do better or whatever your phrasing might be. And then you layer in partnerships as a part of that, you have to invest. And you a lot of, I mean, this is very true. A lot of companies don't. They go, oh, build a partner program. And I've seen a lot of my peers go and get hired for these like head of partnership roles. And, you know, 12 months later, they're moving on. And you check in and they're like, you know, what happened? And they're like, oh, I wasn't resourced. It's just me. Mm-hmm. Like, what well, doesn't work very well, right? When you think about partnerships, it's about helping the organization itself to grow better, more effectively, more efficiently. The, the go-to-market is better because your LTV to CAC relationship is significantly better, You know, especially as you develop the motion and the, and the machine over time. And so at its core, if you kind of back up and you say, how do you bring together those teams? It is about resourcing. It's about executive buying. It's about ensuring that the top of your organization, your SaaS or whatever company, they themselves believe that partnerships as a go-to-market is better. In fact, just uh, the other day, I was in a meeting um, with a bunch of the the Leapwork team, the company I'm at now, and the um, global VP of sales made a comment of like, hey, every time we talk to Microsoft customers, let's be focused on the right fit partner for those opportunities. And you could see the direct team, you know, especially the enterprise team be like, oh, God, why? Like, what's that about? And a few people pose that question. He says, very clear. Our customers do better 
when they work with a partner. We do exceptional work in terms of onboarding and setting up that customer for success, but these partners are already in those businesses and they're doing that work every day. When you understand that, because you've done the research I described earlier in our conversation around partner market fit and ensuring your kind of alignment there, right, the synergy, then ultimately your teams start to move in that same direction. And then it comes really ultimately down to KPIs. So you should have a marketing person who's KPI'd on both partner attract, right, convert, acquisition perhaps, even partner engagement. You should have CS folks that are focused on the same thing, retention of accounts, sure, certainly. But as it relates to partners, you should have you know, your channel managers, your partner managers, whatever you end up calling them, KPI'd on not just selling more or retaining more, but partner growth in some sort of a metric, number of certifications or, you know, a QBR metric of some kind or whatever it might be. And the more you focus these groups on the same outcome, which is that we know we've agreed as a business that partners are better for our customers, then you, know, you can reinforce and you can you know, iterate on it as necessary, but really keep that consistency throughout the org. And how do you figure out if it is actually better? Because I would imagine that having a partner program, I mean, there are so many different things you can do inbound, outbound, you know, like all those kind of different strategies. So I would imagine that partner programs might not always be the right thing to do, uh, or maybe it is, but how will you kind of go about to figure out is, should this be one of our core strategies um, mm. to, to go for? Yeah, Jay McBain, who's like the, I don't know, king, if you will, the leader, if you will, of all things uh, data and analysis. He's actually at um, Canalis. He does a lot of the industry, um, you know, benchmarks and things like that. Jay mm. calls this the, this is the decade of, of channel of partnership specifically. Mm. And, I, you know, when he said it the first time, I kind of went, yeah, okay, Jay, like, I get it. You're your champion in this stuff. And then he got a little bit further into his you know, research and said it again. And then he actually was on my show as well. Mm. And what he did really well, and what I think the reason to answer your question that I think you know, everyone should have a partner program, in particular, if you're in, you know, certainly in SaaS, mm. is he was able to, to highlight that if you look at the trend over the last like 30 years, 40 years, originally, it was like the decade of sales, right? It was all about sales excellence and expertise. And that was like the traveling salesperson. And that was the, you know, the things that you saw in the like really 70s and 80s. And you get to like the 90s and the 2000s early, you know, till like 2010 or so. And that's where you saw the decade of marketing. It was sort of like the early evolution of you know, it was certainly outdoor advertising in the beginning. And then as technology got sort of caught up in that sense and, and internet is born in the mid nineties there and things start to accelerate online. It really was the decade, really the 15 years, if you will, of, of marketing, right? Now you look at, you know, we're in the 2020s, right? And I think if you look at the evolution of those two professions, they're still both exceptional at what they do, but the noise is just too loud. The access to information, to media, to the internet Every company should have an inbound motion. They should be producing content to answer their prospects' questions. Every company should have an outbound motion. Their sales team should be reaching out to their prospects. And I have some arguments I could make around it being educational and around being helpful and supportive and consult consult consultative, excuse me, selling. But I think those two points aside, your partners, the businesses that are already in the market are going to be closer to the customers you want to work with. And the more you can be honest with yourself about that and acknowledge that, frankly, your customers are going to trust them first, the faster your marketing and kind of go-to-market becomes. And so I think what you know to answer your question, how do I know it should or really is going to be a part of my go-to-market strategy? If you're not doing the outbound sales, if you're not doing inbound marketing, you're already behind the times. Like if mm. you're listening to this and you're going, shit, I'm not doing that. Here's your wake up call. Go do that. But if you're also saying, well, we don't have a partner program, that's a huge miss. And it's a miss because again, your market opportunity lies in the amount of reach and the amount of trust that you can build across all of those pers perspective customers that you're looking at. 
that trust comes from businesses that are already working with those organizations. You can do all the marketing you want, all the outbound sales you want, but you should be tackling that problem, which is somebody else is delivering the same, if not more value to your customer right now. You need to go figure out how you work with that organization to align and deliver better value together. Yeah. And I would say as well, like just as you mentioned there from the customer perspective, like having one vendor who can actually service more stuff, like it takes more problem away from you as a customer. Like I don't have to deal with this. They have this, they have that, and they can actually connect all these different things together, which is actually adding even more value to the customer. So I really also believe that it's it's a massive value add and just taking problems away from from companies that they don't have to think about or deal with. Yep, and I would also say up. that what you also talked about with the resourcing, like I would also say there, like having a saying you have a partner program, but not resourcing it, that doesn't really count. I would say as it's the much writing a blog post a year. Like I agree you're not you. really doing inbound then. No, always. I agree. <laughs> Look, I, I think it's easy to say I have a partner program. I mean, yeah. I, again, I see it in my feet, my friends, my peers, it's in my feed yeah. on LinkedIn all the time. I think being intentional around it is the most yeah. you know, valuable uh, point. And that means like early KPIs, that means building a forecast around it. That means investing in tools. You know, that it, it's enablement. That's a lot of those things which already exist. And we could probably have a whole episode on that. But those assets and those tools, they already exist. Your direct team's using them. You should enable your, your partner team to do the same thing, but you should be intentional around understanding that those different elements will change dependent on the partner need. You're going to need a PRM of some kind. You got to manage those partner relationships. You need PRM, uh, partner, partner relationship, relationship manager. manager. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yep. Like a CRM, but for partners. Yep. Yep. Um, and then you got to think about it in terms of doubling down on, on elements of marketing. Are we, how, are we marketing together? Like, well, if you're building a campaign for your company, your CMO, your whatever, your head of marketing is doing that package it up, make it easy for the partner to take it and repurpose it. There's another go-to-market avenue for you, different reach, you know, obviously a, a better LTV to CAC like we described. So yeah, I think it's really simple in terms of doing it, but I also like live this stuff every day. So I look at mm. it from that perspective. And how would you think about, because I also know that there is some kind of typical ways you can go about with things. You can go there, okay, screw it, let's do it. And you just kind of wing everything. You go in guns blazing and you, you, you ignore process, you ignore structure and you just, let's just close some partners and let's figure it out. And then you have the other way where you might go really hard into process and structure and, you know, like focus too much on that before you actually have, for example, identified who are your best partners and how can we kind of build, like, how would you go about balancing the kind of, okay, let's build something up. And at the same time, also having that kind of process mindset when you just get started and as you grow it. Yeah. I think you need to be an entrepreneurial person in the very mm. early stages. If you look at any startup, you know, you look for typically the generalist, you look for those with um, a, uh, I've heard like figure it out factor, you know, mm. kind of attitude, like the ability to go and say, sure, I'll go try and solve that problem or, or you know, overcome that objection. I think when you look at partnerships in particular, it's the exact same endeavor, which is it's entrepreneurial. It's uh, meant to be dynamic and creative. The way that you go about processizing that is that as you move throughout your entrepreneurial process and you're iterating, you're trying and you're growing, you document it. Like you need mm. to be a student of writing shit down. In fact, I've got uh, a look right now on my tabs, I don't know, 10 different documents open in the background with different categories, different things that I'm thinking about and working on. And I don't spend hours on them. I might spend four minutes one time and then seven minutes another time. Mm. But just the other day, I was talking to somebody about a consulting uh, version of, of a program that we've talked about, you know, historically here as well. And so we've got a partner program and then we have this sort of like consulting arm and there are these consultants that want to do it. And, you know, it's, um, 
an interesting conversation because all of a sudden, well, I think I could, I could frame something out there. And, and my peer was like, yeah, go give it some thought. Let me know what you think. Those ideas are going to naturally come throughout your process. The observations mm. that you certainly have over your partners and your, in your steps and the things that come out of it are also equal input. So my two cents is try things try as often as you can. Um, I hate the expression fail often. It sounds silly, like go and break shit and then mm. like fix it and, or throw it in the trash and buy something new, try something new, et cetera. But as you go, make sure you're in some way capturing those experiences, those moments, those those takes, so that you can always reflect back. And that's kind of my second piece of, of um, advice and feedback here is that you should be doing something in terms of um, you know st- stepping aside, if you will. So it's really easy, especially in the partner programs that we have today, to fly at like a thousand feet. Like you're only able to see a hundred feet down the road ahead of you when you've got a thousand foot perspective. But what you should be doing is once a week, especially as a partner leader, elevate yourself to ten thousand feet. What's the the next mile and a half, two miles look like? And then once a month, elevate yourself to 30,000 feet. What am I looking at in terms of the entire landscape of our opportunity, both forward and backwards? But that elevation of perspective is really important. That comes when you're documenting. That comes when you're experimenting. And I think if you want to do it right, you have to take it in that order in terms of be entrepreneurial, document as you go, and then be sure to reflect, look forward and look backwards. It's ultimately going to give you the best perspective on where you should go for the next step. So... (laughs) Like we also talked about KPIs uh, and you mentioned some metrics and of course, like you need to have some kind of a, like assessment on how things are going. So like what would actually be things that you would be looking at in terms of assessing the success of your partner program? Like let's say we're kind of in very early stages. We don't have a fancy structure and a ton of data at this point. Um, and we just have a few metrics we want to monitor. Keep it simple. Like super mm. simple. It should be two, maybe three. May, mm. I, like I strong maybe in that sense. Um, you know, partner generated revenue. A lot of folks like to think about it that way. That could be generated in terms of net new, like leads, um, you know, closed one. Um, mm. It could also be in terms of like leads influenced. So you've got, you know, partner generated revenue and then you've got partner influenced revenue. It generated in terms of they bring the opportunity to you. Uh, influenced in terms of you've worked with them toward a better outcome. So you brought them into an opportunity, you know, et cetera. Um, those are the two most common. I think they're easy to measure. It's revenue. Sales leaders love it. And partnerships should be tied to revenue. I, I think it's mm. in many ways irresponsible not to. If you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're like, we're doing integrations and so they're not generating revenue in that sense, they are. You should have to think about it differently. And so I'd say mm. those same KPIs apply, but maybe it's like number of implementations, number of, um, you know, obviously integrations and such. Um, you could look at, you know, the health of the customer, use some sort of an NPS and whatnot. But I also think there's this sort of like other coin, which is that as you're talking about generating revenue and driving impact, we need to think about what that partner gets in return. So if you can sort of build a KPI in terms of revenue generated for partner, that could be really interesting as well. I've seen that starting to show up more. So you can say like by partner, how many deals do we refer to them, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, kind of lastly is like, I would look at some metric in terms of engagement. I think that's really important because those are all me things that I talked about in the beginning, mm. but I would look at things that are mutual. So it's, uh, you know, if you've got certifications, how many have they taken? If you've got, um, you know, onboarding tracks or learning tracks, how many have they gone through? Like those are the things to be very focused on because that shows you a measure of involvement engagement as well. And that's an equally valuable intersection of where your partner and yourselves, you know, will do better together. And who do you think should uh, lead that? We talked about there, like the different like sales metrics. Like who should actually lead the conversation? Like I know at HubSpot, I think it was, uh, I was speaking a lot with the partners, like especially like a few group of partners that I spent a ton of time on and a lot of partners that I spent very little time on. But uh, is it sales? Is it like who should kind of own the conversation with the partner and make sure like 
I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stop the question there and just see what you say based on that. No, half, I know what you're yeah, I, I get what you're at. I think it's easy to say it's one person. I think it's yeah. a collective, like you described earlier. It's a variety of people. Um, you know, I think if you're aligned in terms of, I believe, actually, I should say, correct myself, if you're aligned on the the fundamental concept that our customers are better when they work with partners. You need to have some sort of a partner leader, partner manager. Uh, you know, I, I'm a senior director of global partnerships, right? You can have me. You could have a, a junior, you know, brand new partner manager at the firm. It doesn't matter. Somebody should be KPI'd on those metrics we are describing. And then you should have the organization report on it. So when mm -hmm. I think about that, you probably have a CRO or head of revenue or VP of sales or whatever. Most organizations, when they're early, if we're talking about early stage SaaS, don't have a head of partnerships like day one. But once you've crossed like, you know, 100 employees, let's call it 50 employees, even you could go as early. Um, you know, once you've got seven to 10 partnerships, like you should probably think about having a leader. That leader also should be KPI'd on and tied into those revenue and those um, mutual value intersections as well. So I think it's a cart before the horse, to use an American expression, but the idea being, you know, do we, um, we always say chicken or the egg too, which is super weird. But the idea that, you know, do we do we think it needs to be left or right? I don't think there's a right answer there. It's absolutely situational, but you should KPI into um, somebody so that you can clearly hold them accountable and drive that, whoever that person is. Mm. So let's say I'm, I'm a business owner and I'm, you know, we are starting to scale up and I'm, I'm thinking about this partner program, like it might be a good thing for us, but I'm a little bit concerned that we're going to lose a really important feedback channel because, you know, if you have partners selling, you might not actually get the same kind of direct feedback f with, you know, competitors and like what's going on in the market versus if you have a sales team. Um, like, is that something you've seen? And if so, like, how would you kind of address that concern and potentially fix it? That's an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that one. I think I would go uh, top down. So I'd say like, first and foremost, you should not be engaging with partners that keep your customer away from you. In particular, if you're in SaaS, like your your metrics as an organization, raising money, growing the company, any of those uh, sort of inputs, if you will, those factors are going to require that you intersect with that customer, whether they own your software is irrelevant, but you should be able to look at the uh, some sort of a health metric or a happiness metric of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's core, I think. So early HubSpot, I, I love sharing this anecdote. It's, it's fascinating. Mark Robert, who was the CRO of HubSpot for the first hundred million, had this um this metric, this value of PET, P percent of people do E event over T time. And so the idea was that like every month, a customer would log into a portal you know, any number of times, but they would use three or more applications every month. So they'd like write a blog post, send an email and post to social media. And if they were at that level, then they were considered green. They were using the platform enough. And that was a leading indicator of product market fit and product adoption. Well, same thing is true for your partners. And so if you can say in terms of like the leading indicator of success around the platform, you can still draw that through them, but look at perhaps the same or in that example, maybe I would add in something different in terms of metrics. You would still want to be surveying your customers. You'd still want to be looking at an NPS in terms of a happiness score. You want to look at a feedback loop of some kind. I think the you know QBR business value stuff also matters, but you shouldn't have an organization that's solely partner. You got to have direct as well. And I think you're going to get anecdotal feedback from the direct team regardless. And mm -hmm. so if you can work in concert, then you're going to get feedback in terms of competitor challenges, feature challenges, the issues that might be coming up around why your platform's not working. And then secondary to that, but perhaps equally important is I would do the same thing with my partners. I would encourage and or force if necessary them to do some sort of a competitor analysis or feature analysis or pricing analysis with you in that QBR. So you can say, what are you hearing in the market? Like, are we still mm -hmm. competitive? Are we getting good feedback through you from your customers, from your prospects around those things that are important? 
Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be a better end result. Like if you're aligned there, uh, it's going to be way better. So, okay, let's kind of have a final question here from uh, from me. So this is a little bit of a different, it's not related to specifically the partner program, but what is one learning or insight that kind of significantly changed your perspective on life and business that in the last year Ooh. has have a time frame to it? The last year? I don't know if this is in the last year. It's in the, in the most recent years. Um, I had somebody once say to me, uh, someone I admire quite a bit, they said, you're either the smartest person in the room, so you make the most money, or you're not. And what you don't make in money, you make up for a knowledge gain. Mm. And every once in a while, lightning strikes and you get both those things. But chasing that, it's not going to help you in your career and your life and your expectations. Um, I always found that to be really interesting. And from that, I derived this idea that when people talk about work-life balance, I always say bullshit. They go, well, what's, what's your work-life balance like? And I'm like, that's mm. crap. Because that implies that it's equal. It's not equal at all times. It's a blend. Sometimes I work harder than I want to. Sometimes I don't work enough. And at the end of the day, the output is greater than the, the sort of some of its parts in that sense. That's another good of it, bit of advice for me. And, and I think I would share with any of my peers, in particular those in like early stage companies, that we can get sucked into the work. As somebody who's been through a lot in a very short period of time, I like to focus on the living part of this whole you know human thing. Um, and I think those two concepts in terms of where you spend your time and how you spend it ultimately allow you to decide you know, what makes you feel most fulfilled in the way you live your life. I love it. Yeah, I heard, uh, I heard a statement there recently as well to kind of you, you choose your regrets, Ooh, um, like, that like being good, more yeah. active about it. Like this is what you're prioritizing. This is what you're choosing not to do. Instead of thinking yep. about it as something you're losing, thinking about it as something you're kind of actively. Right? That's great. People always say, I'm, I'm too busy for that. And I'm like, no, you're just not prioritizing it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing with so many things in life. No, yeah. I love it. So, so Barry, like where can people go if they want to find out more about you, your podcast and uh, whatever else yeah. you want to highlight here? I'm not on any social anymore to be candid with you other than LinkedIn. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. I try and post an episode a week. I've got my own show called Outcomes. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple. It's on a bunch of other platforms as well. Um, it's about partnerships and SaaS. It's conversations with operators that have been there, done the work, and have a story to tell about it. So uh, much like yourself, I'm asking hopefully interesting questions and and keeping it tactical and something folks can learn from. Um, I'm super open on LinkedIn. So if you listen to this and you're like, I want to ask Barrett a question, don't be shy. You can send me a DM anytime. I will always respond to you. And if I can help you, I'll point you in the right direction. And you know, if I can't, we'll certainly have a good conversation in the meantime. So I appreciate that. I'm always willing and, and certainly able to help where I can. Love it. And yeah, I would definitely recommend for anyone who is thinking about or is actively kind of working with a partner program to definitely check out that podcast because there is way more deep dives and is specialized in partnerships. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening in today. And uh, thank you, Barrett, for taking the time of your busy schedule. My pleasure.